documentation. What could it possibly have to do with young children's social-emotional learning and life skills development? I mean, are you like me? Does the mere mention of the word documentation elicit responses of resistance to a chore you'd much prefer to avoid? One that really could be considered dry and dull? But documentation has been deemed necessary by the profession of early childhood education. So that's why, once again, I am immeasurably grateful to welcome Ann Palo back to this, the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast. Ann's interpretation of and approach to documentation is a liberating, I would even say life-altering perspective that empowers teachers to reclaim the task of documentation as one that is rich with potential to name and to honor each child's uniquely lived experiences of joy, grief, angst, curiosity, intelligence, their unique proclivities, you know, the full range. In addition, of course, to reporting on what each child has done, said, learned, and accomplished, and shines her bright light of heartful wisdom and well-reasoned insight on the task of documentation for the profound purpose of inspiring teachers to be fully intentional about observing and acknowledging not just what happens in each child's day at school, but the meaning, the human heart of each child's story by telling stories that matter about each child's life that will matter going forward because what we observe and document will permeate how we relate to those children in our care, which will have major impacts on our expectations, our judgments, our openness, our relationship to all of who each one of them is which, as Anne will explain in our conversation, very definitely has an impact on their social and emotional learning and development. It might seem subtle, but actually the impact isn't that subtle. Its reverberations are quite pronounced. Anne warmly and with great love invites teachers to turn the concept of documentation on its head, that even though it's about the children, to honestly, courageously, and consciously acknowledge that what teachers observe speaks volumes about the personal lens through which educators determine what is meaningful, what is worthy of their focus, their time. Anne explains the importance and impact of being fully mindful, fully present in the documentation process with genuine curiosity with a fresh and unbiased mindset, with self-awareness that makes room for, even welcomes, uncertainty and openness to new understandings. With this attitude towards documentation, teachers and children win, short-term and long-term. So, Anne Palo, thank you for being on the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast again. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me back again. I'm just <laughs> delighted to be talking with you again and thinking with you. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, I understand that you'll be leading a seminar next week that will be focusing on documentation. 
to me, that sounds a little, well, a lot dry and dreary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you are Ann Palo, so your seminar, I know, will not be dry and dreary. Dreary, because you are known and widely respected for your vision, at least uh, uh, for your vision as I understand it, which is to make certain that the documentation and the stories that we tell about children's lives matter in the deepest and the most enriching and the most constructively and creative ways that we can achieve. I have about a million questions. <laughs> you're going to do that, but I will start with uh, asking you to share the heart of your approach to documentation. Mm, yeah. Um, I agree with you that the word documentation <laughs> is just the dullest, driest oh, word there is. And, and what I, um, I feel I am on a mission to do is to reclaim the idea um, that gave rise to that dry, dull word. The <laughs> idea that um, that children's lives are rich with meaning and joy and and grief and angst mm. and mm. and curiosity that their their unfolding human lives are worthy of our deepest attention and of our best story making. Mm. So that what what I believe we ought to be doing um, when we when we think about and talk about and practice documentation is calling forward the the humanness of children um, in the best ways that we can and telling stories of our experiences with them in ways that both illuminate who they are in their particularity and um, illuminate who we are in our particularity and help illuminate what it is to be human in the world and, and how um, our attention to children can expand that awareness of what it means to be human. So, so shifting away from documentation as um, keeping a record of what children have done and said that demonstrates what they've learned. Um, which is another way of saying demonstrating that we've done something useful by teaching them something like, no, 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 we can be telling stories um, from the heart that, that, that help us all um, just continue to grow more fully alive. Well, that's how I'm wanting to reclaim this idea of documentation. Mm. I always want to find out your specific de definition of terms, and you said more fully alive. What does that mean to you, Anne? Mm. I I long for all of us to move through the world in in our our fullest selves, our embodied selves, our senses, our sensuality, our our attentiveness, our alertness, our curiosity, our, our full um, range of emotion, our, our hearts awake and in motion, our, our, ourselves tuned to other people as well as tuned to our deepest truths. So, so that that's, that's self is what we bring to our work with children rather than just, you know, ourselves sort of chopped off at the neck and just the, just in our heads with a, a 
running count of what children should be learning and what the standards ask of us and what activities we've got planned to help them um, learn in ways that meet the standards. Like, no, 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 let's bring our whole selves to children in the way that they bring their whole selves to us. There's, there, there, we can learn so much from seeing the way children move through the world, wide awake and present and given over to whatever they encounter, whoever they encounter. Yeah. I was going to ask you to contrast uh, being fully alive with not, but you just did that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's important because we get tired and we get into that automaton mindset, but uh, everybody loses with that, obviously, mm-hmm. of course. Um, so um, what I want you to do now is give us some real-life examples of documentation of some uh, maybe a child that's we know has had some trauma and in the same class there's a child that has had all the advantages and maybe a child that's somewhere a mix of in between or whatever you feel is valuable for us to learn how uh, uh, an educator can bring the most of themselves and, and contribute the most to this this uh, this responsibility of documentation, so that it's most it makes the most positive impact for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that that springs to mind when you ask that question is an experience that I shared with an educator in Sydney, Australia, um, who really set herself on a journey to change how. She was approaching her teaching practice as well as her writing practice. She um, described herself as feeling um, very much caught in just uh, sort of the rote application of teaching practices. Mm-hmm. And like, this is not really why I wanted to become a teacher. It was not <laughs> just to go through these daily motions and call it good. And And in the course of our work together, she shared a story that she wrote, a documentation story um, that to me speaks beautifully to to the power of stories for um, the power of stories for children and the power of stories for us as the storytellers. She um, described a child in her room who um, is a an English language learner, a child of people who had immigrated to Australia, um, getting super, well, first having just a terrible time with napping. Like I, I don't do naps. I know I'm supposed to do naps, but I, I'm not a kid who sleeps and uh-huh. so squirming and wiggling and, oh, and Sylvia trying to meet up with her in some useful way. And, mm-hmm. um, instead of just scolding her down onto her mat and you mm. have 45 more minutes of torture. Mm. Um, Sylvia suggested, um, you know, that she could hang out near the window and just see, see what she noticed outside. Um, Cause we need to still stay quiet. You know, the other children are sleeping and well, it's about, tell me what you notice out the window. And, um, and she, it moments later um, had this little child Matilda come running over to her. Um, I see my name, my name, my M is in the sky. She says in the best articulation she can and drag Sylvia over. And there is a sky rider up in the sky. And there is the, 
the shape of an M, a curled, curvy M up in the sky. And um, Sylvia, in this piece of writing that she has created about this, um, describes being there with Matilda, gazing up at the sky, um, leaving the space open for Matilda's encounter with this M as she saw it in the sky. And Matilda's talking about like, look, it looks kind of like a, a love heart. Now there's an <laughs> M and my love heart. And, and they, look at, look, 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 just such excitement about that. And um, then the, the heart, the, the writing begins to dissipate and um, sort of dissolve in the sky. And Matilda like, Oh, Sylvia, what's happening? Where's it going? And um, Sylvia just offered, um, simply enough and maybe it's the wind and then um, they just kept company with each other as this M and heart f- finally faded completely from the sky and then Sylvia so she tells that story in her writing and then um, adds a very powerful reflection like there is this child who sees her identity in the sky that is what Sylvia herself, right? Herself, a second language learner. Um, I I watched Matilda find herself in the sky, see her identity in the sky, and I, as a as an early early in my education, I was taught that I should jump in and teach something in these these sorts of pregnant moments. There's an M in the sky, and I could have suggested we practice writing her name or we go look for other m's or what else do we know that starts with m but she said instead i i wanted to honor matilda's capacity to um to see herself in in that beautiful and generous and spacious away and and we have these outcomes in australia one of which is being and and I think that's what Matilda was experiencing today was uh, her own vast being as reflected by the sky writing. And that is a documentation story. Oh, talk about not being dull and dry and reductionist and evaluative. Like to have that story told about you, especially because as a, sing- a second language learner, the moment could have become about instruction and then the story could be about, isn't that great? Matilda's getting this alphabet figured out and there she's giving evidence of it, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, obviously the story reflects that, but it reflects so much more than that. Right. Instead of shrinking, it expanded. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Okay. That makes me want to ask another question, but I... I wanted to, I don't want to lose the fact that I want you to contrast uh, documentation for different kids with different, that come from different Mm -hmm. backgrounds, but which way do I want to go with that? (laughs) Which way do you want to go? Uh, I'm thinking as, as you're thinking. (laughs) Let's see. Um, I guess the question I'm, I'm just so curious about because there are short-term uh, impacts of this documentation and this interpretation and this storytelling about the kids and this interaction. And then there, you must think about long-term impacts 
of these kinds of interactions and this kind of documentation and this kind of interpretation and this kind of what we bring to these 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 responsibilities of documentation can you mm. talk about that mm-hmm. yeah i see as you say the the immediate impact of um being so well seen for the child to be held in such a generous gaze and and for an educator to herself be in that um what i think of as the human heart of the moment you know what what that does for us um i also see the the power of of approaching our documentation practice in this way is that it can then deeply inform our practice again in ways that move far beyond the sort of next step teaching decisions we need to make. But how, how do I see Matilda differently now? How, how has thinking in this way sharpened my, my capacity to see and to wonder and to understand this outcome to which I'm accountable being it's one of the big outcomes in the national um, early learning framework of Australia. So now I understand that better and I can be more responsive to that outcome in this deeper way. Um, I also can begin to grow a, a meaningful relationship with Matilda's family um, over time as I offer these sorts of stories that not only communicate that I see Matilda um, in this generous way, but I I also am offering myself to the family. This is how I see the world. This is how I am thinking about your child and about childhood. So uh, what an offering that is into a relationship with a family. Um, again, over the the length of a, a year together or two years or three years together, that's that's a kind of an intimacy that I hope we reclaim where we need to reclaim it and um, hold tight to it where we've already got it in our field, but that we can be creating those kind of stories. There's a, um, a, a phrase by a writer who I admire very much, Barry Lopez, who, um, oh, yes. He, yes, he said in a, a presentation I heard him give that the responsibility of the storyteller is to the culture of the community I sit with that a lot. The responsibility is to the culture of the community. So I think of the stories that we tell as as contributing to the kind of community we want to create in our classrooms, in our early learning centers, um, more broadly in our in our communities where we live. Like we have the power to tell stories that shape communities. So we can tell stories that say our community is about outcomes and um, achievement on uh, learning on lists of learning goals or our communities about being and seeing yourself in the sky. Like which kind of community do we want to be? And let's, let's start making that community. Uh, I love it. Mm. You, I know in our first conversation, you talked about Australia's uh, and you're referring to it now. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us again what that is. Refresh us about that. Yeah, it's the their, um, the early years learning framework of Australia is titled Being, Belonging, and Becoming. Yeah, um, yeah. and those are the core, you can't even really call them outcomes, but they are. Those are the outcomes. That's what they're, as an as a 
um, national early childhood community have committed to focusing on as their most deeply held commitments to children. We will support their being, their belonging, and their becoming. Yeah. I mean, and of course, in the course of that, they'll certainly learn letters of the alphabet and colors and numbers and all of that. That will happen. Of course. But it happens um, wrapped inside this stronger, deeper, bigger focus, this human focus. Of course. And it's not, as you say, from the head up. Right, right. Exactly. The life of the child and the whole world that the child lives in. And yeah. letters and numbers are definitely part of that. But, but they don't have to be so heavily weighted. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And excised apart from the, the fuller, meaningful context in which children are thinking about letters and numbers and, mm-hmm. and all that's bound into that. That, again, that fully alive, fully present self. Right. And so this podcast is, uh, the, 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 it's called the big picture, social, emotional learning podcast. Mm -hmm. So bring this back to, I mean, you can do it easily. I'm sure I just want it in your words, bring it back to social, emotional learning, all of what we've been talking about, please. Mm -hmm. I see this approach to documentation is not only certainly honoring children's social, emotional knowing and being and learning, but educators, um, social, emotional learning. Um, again, that moving, um, moving to integrate heart and head and body and senses and spirit, all of that, like how, how are we ourselves continuing to refine our own social and emotional capacity to see and be present to children in a way that honors children's social and emotional capacity. So I, I see, um, I see that happening on those several, um, several arenas at the same time that it can be as much about our social and emotional learning <laughs> as, as about the children's. Uh, absolutely. Because where did you say, you said something about, um, acknowledging uh, what if we call educators to be present in the documentation they create with their own curiosity, their own insight, their own uncertainty and their own self-awareness. And what is that? But those deepest levels of social and emotional development, but it's, it's just way the foundation of all their social. And yeah. 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 I think of in like in Sylvia's story in her actual written piece, she um writes in the first person, which is a a departure from the training that many of us received about documentation at the get-go. So even that is claiming a social and emotional being, a person with a perspective, a person um whose attention was caught by this unfolding moment, you know, who didn't just say, Oh, Sylvia or uh, Matilda, isn't that great? remember to whisper children are sleeping (laughs) you know tell me about it later but like okay I'm I'm gonna listen I'm gonna be curious and I'm gonna tell the story from from a place of claiming my own presence as a listener and as a thinker and Sylvia in this again in this particular story writes about um, I wondered about and what what caught my attention and my heart um, stirred 
at uh, you know, Matilda's comments. And I used to think this was my job and now I understand my job in this way. And like very, um, I, I, what's the word? Very um, self-disclosive, very vulnerable, very um, personal and immediate that I'm part of the story as, as much as Matilda is part of the story. And it's not about now um, our documentation becomes a personal memoir every time we sit down to write a story or mm-hmm. is our place for personal therapy, but it's a mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. where we show up um, in the, our best thinking and feeling as a way to understand as best we can children's thinking and feeling. So, so being um, as aware as we can be to be in service of children for sure. So beautiful. It makes me have one more question Mm -hmm. um, at least. (laughs) So there's a shift. There's a shift in consciousness. There's a shift in attention. There's a shift in purpose. There's a shift in, in the mental energy and the intention. And a person could relate to that shift as difficult and full of effort or how would you describe that shift how to make it and how much effort and energy do you think that shift requires truly really Mm. yeah i i can understand the sense of um provocation in it of challenge in in making this shift and I see there being some real release in it, some um, uh, just a deep exhalation. Oh, I I get to be my whole self. I I can have my sense of humor, or my being perplexed, or mm-hmm. my being touched. I I I feel some relief at that, and some release. And that's that's what I experience in my work with educators as we think together about these ideas and try on this practice. And I'm really even literally watching children play and writing about it and then reviewing what we've written and then going back and rewriting. Like, how can we really begin to embody this approach to documentation, to telling stories that matter? And what I hear from educators is that it's the initial challenge is just in believing the permission is there. Yep. You get to write in the first person. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You get to say, I didn't really understand what this play was about, but it fascinated me. And so I'm just going to capture it here in the hope that you dear reader will think about it with me and help me understand it more. Whatever the true pieces that oh, wow, I don't have to be the expert writing about everything. This moment is held for this child's learning. I, I get to be in a conversation, a mm-hmm. real conversation with whoever this is, who's going to be reading these pieces mm-hmm. and, and that there is um, no small delight in that relief. Mm-hmm. And also it is, as you said, a new muscle to develop. Um, but I, I think it's the sort of thing that once we get that first feel of it, we don't want to go back. I want to close that um, little window again mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. back in that stuffy, dusty <laughs> old room. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the okay. rule of documentation. So no, let me out. Let me out. <laughs> we have gone from period to you. You've 
eliminated all of that uh, association with the word to documentation. Thank you very much. Mission accomplished, Anne. Uh, excellent. <laughs> and so, as some people say, well, we must stop meeting like this. You and I must never stop meeting like this. Mm, please never, no. Never. <laughs> this one conversation among many to come. Yes, please. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank mm. you. Thank you. And thank you be... so much. Uh, goodbye, Anne. Goodbye. Take care. Okay. Do you find yourself wishing Anne Palo was your teacher when you were four and five years old? Would it have made a difference if one of your teachers way back then had adopted the mindset and approaches that Anne advocates? I think one of the main reasons I'm so enthusiastic about conversing with Anne is because I know what a difference her kind of thinking and being with children would have made in my own life, in my own sense of self-worth, in my own sense of how I mattered. Of course, we do all manage to make up for some of the errors in how we were raised and educated, but what if you and I can be one of those educators whose efforts on behalf of the children that we teach do not have to be compensated for? Something to think about, huh? Would you like to learn more from and about Ann Palo? Just check out the notes for this episode. I've provided a few very helpful links. And have you subscribed to this, the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast? You know I hope so. This podcast is for educators who can attend just so many conferences, yet are sincerely committed to learning about the best that's being offered that will impact students' social-emotional learning and their life skills development. The purpose of this podcast is to discover the best of the best for you and to widen the scope for you of what I know really should be included under the great big umbrella of social and emotional learning. Please stick around. We are just getting started. So many more great interviews and insights are coming your way. My name is Nene White, and with all my heart, I thank you for being here. And as always, I thank you for all that you do for today's children. They need you. We all need you.